podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths. Enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind and Soul Healing Conversations. Valeria interviews Anika Jend. Anika has always been passionate about empowering others to live their highest potential, to express their unique gift, and add their unique light to the world. In order for people to be able to do this, they need to be healthy, and Anika was attracted to natural health from an early age. She graduated as a chiropractor in 95 and still practices chiropractic and applied kinesiology. She has written the book Passion to Thrive and also offers both group and private sessions to release unhelpful subconscious beliefs and replace them with helpful ones. The one modality that has sustainably created change in her own life for the better. Annika was born in Denmark and has lived in Spain, Germany, England, Scotland, and now lives in regional Australia with her husband and her dog. To learn more about Annika and her work, please visit annikajend.com.au. Here is the interview with Annika Jend. In your own words, who is Annika Jende? I am a starseed that dropped in to love Mother Earth and help with the ascension process. That's simple. How beautiful. Before we talk about some of the topics in your book, Passion to Thrive, New Ways for Women to Be in the World Rediscovered, I have a few warm-up questions, as I mentioned, off record. So the first one, what is another word for Earth. Ah, love, life, exuberance, beauty, nurturing, being. And I'll be asking you questions about life itself or the experience of being a human body. What is life to you, Nanika? That's a big question. Um, so the way it, um, the way I feel into it is with this incredible multidimensional consciousness that has everything at all times and wants to experience something a bit different. So we drop into this physical form and kind of forget that, you know, we already are everything and, and have everything that we could possibly ever dream of. And then the experience of being a human on planet Earth is to remember all those things that we already are and almost like unravel all the conditioning that we've had and just remember that what we are is pure love, basically. Does that answer your question? Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Beautifully answered my question. (laughs) 
What do you think is the opposite of life? I'm not entirely sure that there is an opposite, actually. Because hmm. to me, life and love are sort of synonyms. They're just slightly different variations on the same thing. Like even if, when we leave our physical body and the physical body dies, there is still life there. Like individual cells keep living and, and it then feeds other life. So I don't know that there is. I guess death, death is a transition into a different way of being from that point of view. And what is to be a healer to you? A healer is somebody who reminds somebody else that they already have everything they need to be whole. And sometimes, basically, the, it's the heart space that the healer can hold for another person that predicts how well that person will actually respond to the healing intention. So that's probably the single most important thing. And then sometimes we have strategies or we have knowledge or we have skills that are useful to that person. But ultimately, the thing is actually to remind the person in front of us that they already are everything they could be and they have all the tools that they need. They've just forgotten. I have two questions here that relates to the experience of being a woman or being in a female body. What do you love the most about being a woman? The feelingness of things. I think women generally have an easier way uh, and an easier way to kind of feel with their bodies and i think our bodies are designed for that because we bleed once a month and we go through these cycles so we kind of have to remain in touch with our bodies we can't just sort of you know disappear into our minds and, and pretend the body doesn't you know exist or matter or uh, crave contact so being in a female physical form encourages us to feel our bodies, feel our energy field, feel our connection to other people, to planet Earth and to our family in spirit. So there's a, a real sensuality around it. And there's also this miracle of potentially being a vessel for a new consciousness to come into life uh, through us, which is, you know, we know, we know the mechanics of it, but the mystery of it still just as mysterious as it's always been. True. And um, beautifully answered too. And I forgot to mention, which I should have, not too late, that these questions, those two questions, they were inspired by reading your book. So they're so inspiring to me <laughs> that now I'm making them like two of my questions, my main questions. So yeah, I love your questions though. This is another one question that you impose in your book. So I'm going to ask you, what is the most challenging aspect about being a woman? To me, the most challenging aspect of being a woman is to actually re remain in our power with the, with the way patriarchy has been trying very hard to get us out of it. So when we're born, we're just children and we kind of know our worth and we know we are loved by parents. But then as we go along, we kind of hit these walls that are only there because we're female. And to kind of keep knowing in your own body that that is not true and that that is made up can be really, really hard at times. True. Yeah. That's the work that you mentioned earlier briefly, the unlearning, the undoing. Exactly. Right? Yeah. That becomes yeah. our healing work. What does it mean to be free to you? What is freedom? So freedom to me is 
basically the ability to be authentic at any given moment. So honoring what I'm feeling, honoring who I am and honoring my body. So that's kind of one one level of it. So kind of being able to, in any given situation, kind of speak my truth while also considering what it is I want the other person to take away from it. Yeah, there's always more than one way to say any one thing. And to kind of choose choose the way that's going to be the most useful while still, you know, owning my power and, and speaking my truth. Uh, on another level, freedom is being able, for myself personally, for, is able to express myself creatively um, in whichever way I feel to do that at the time. Mm, I love that. This idea of what you mentioned earlier about caring and love ourselves, loving ourselves, but at the same time loving and caring for others. At this time, what do you think is the world's greatest need? And do you have a vision for a new reality? Oh, that's a long question. <laughs> it is. <laughs> yes, I certainly, I certainly have a vision for where, where we could be heading as a, as a planetary consciousness and community. And it's basically about, how do I answer this? Honoring the divine feminine in a way that we haven't done for several millennia. And at the same time, encouraging and honoring the divine masculine. At present, the predominant consciousness on our earth is that of an adolescent male. No disrespect to adolescent males, but it is supposed to be a phase. It's not something that's meant to be going on uh, in the long term. So if we can get those two energies to kind of, like I'm thinking of a yin-yang symbol right now, if we can get them playing and if we can get them dancing and we can get them interacting in a way that's uh, full of wonder and curiosity and respect and love and nurture. That's, that's kind of the, the world that I see down the track. And I think right now what's happening is that all these things that have been going on for centuries or millennia that have been hidden and have been um, not conducive towards that beautiful future that I see are now being coming out to be shown. So it's going on for a long time, but now is the time where we actually see it and we go, actually, do you know what? That's not cool with me as a planetary collective. Does that answer your question? It does very much, yeah. That's uh, so true. Do you think that this time what we are going through will help us to evolve as human beings and direct us to that remembrance of who we are? Absolutely. Yeah, I think we now have more people than ever before putting like putting down our collective feet and saying, no, that's not right. And there's so many things that are coming up at the moment where we think, no, that's not right. And, you know, just kind of taking that step back and being able to observe what's going on rather than being caught up in the actual stream of it is the first step, I think, to kind of observing your own self as well and kind of realizing that we aren't, you, know, you aren't your thoughts, you aren't your emotions. These are things that give you feedback. These are things that inform you, but it is not who you actually are. So by kind of having these things coming up and people actually observing it and making a decision that, that you know, it's not congruent with who they are and who they want to be, that's the very first step of actually developing a new sense of self outside of what's going on on the outside. Yeah, so true, Monica. 
How did you come to this realization of who you are? Oh, another big question. <laughs> it actually, I grew up in Denmark and in Denmark, I was just a little kid growing up. And then when I was 10 years old, I moved to Spain with my mother. And all of a sudden I felt and looked very, very different. So I went to a school that was not a Spanish school. It was um, a German school. And what I observed there in the way people were interacting with one another just felt like it wasn't the way I would have chosen. Like it wasn't kind. I'm not saying that this wasn't happening in the Danish school, by the way. It's just that that's when I actually noticed it because I've been taken out of that environment and had been put into a different position from the one I'd been before. And I remember sitting in biology class when I was in year seven or something and the teacher saying, well, you know, if we hurt planet Earth, it would always come back to bite us. And I thought, but what about all the animals and all the plants that don't have a voice that get hurt and harmed in the process and going extinct? You know, what about all these other creatures that are just as entitled to live on our planet as, as we are? You know, what about them? You know, um, so I kind of had this conscious awareness of things not being the way that in my feeling they would be far kinder and more integrated than what they were. Um, so I came out of my teens sort of feeling very dislocated in the world really because it just didn't make any sense to me. You know, it all seemed quite crazy. Um, and then along the way, I've kind of, you know, lost some of those conditionings, you know, through lots of personal work and kind of stepped more into actually it is me who's saying and it is the world that's crazy. And as I've kind of owned that space, um, other people who feel the same way have shown up in my life um, and going, yeah, you're right. The world is crazy. Or have you thought of the world being crazy in this particular way? So, so it's been an evolution that's lasted my whole life so far, basically. It sort of changed, yeah. But the understanding is always there. That's interesting. It never goes away, but it evolves and it changes the way we see and express ourselves in that understanding, which is so wonderful. What is love <laughs> to you? What is love to you, Anika? Okay, so the first answer is love is basically the stuff that the universe is made of. So to me, the way I picture it, you know, that equation E equals MC square. So basically what it tells us is energy becomes matter if it's really, really slow and matter if it's sped up really fast becomes energy. So everything is energy ultimately. And I would call that energy love. Yeah, it's basically an energy that just delights in morphing and playing with itself and experiencing itself in different ways. So in the same way, you know, like the universe looks out through our eyes and experiences itself through us, which I think is a really, really cool concept. And on a personal level, it's some of those things I said earlier, you know, like just uh, a deep connection with another being and the way it feels on my body is just a really nice, warm, beautiful sensation uh, around my heart. Um, and yeah, connection, I think is probably the the other connection and caring are other words that are very similar to love for me. Yeah, yeah, that resonates. What is your understanding and idea of inner peace? So that derives very closely uh, from some of the other questions you've asked. So knowing 
knowing who I am, getting a sense of the beingness that is me or that is experiencing me right now and knowing that all the things that go on in my life aren't me. So I almost feel like I'm in the eye of the storm and there's all this other stuff going on around me, but it's up to me how I remember who I am at that moment. Um, And I'm not perfect at this by any means either. You know, sometimes stuff happens and, you know, you kind of get swept away in it all, but this ability to kind of go back to, okay, well, that is not me though. That's something that's happening to me. Um, and how will I respond? So it, it's a place of empowerment as well, because you can then, I can then choose how I want to respond to what's going on on the outside. <laughs> Beautiful. And my last question, warm-up question, is about has to do with God. What, where, and who is God to you? So God to me again is uh, this the same force as love and life and the universe and. Okay. To me, God isn't a personal God that sits up in the sky. To me, God is everywhere. So God is, you know, in our, in our planet, in, in the animals, in the plants, in Mother Earth, in the universe, you know, is in us. So I hope nobody gets offended listening to this, but to me it is very much the universal, the universal energy. Yeah. Um, so God is love. Do you often use the word God or you choose not to use that word? I don't choose to, to use that word very often because in some of the contexts I've been, it's a very loaded or distinct kind of idea that it refers to. And to me, it actually limits, it actually limits God that idea that, you know, I link into. So I don't have a problem with using the word God, but I think in most contexts, when I use, if I use that word, it's not really accurately describing what I'm trying to describe, which is actually indescribable. Mm, yes, right. Yeah, it is very much true that the word God is connected to lots of beliefs and concepts and specific ideas that they are limiting. I agree. And we go to war over them, which is probably the biggest misconception of all, yeah. Oh, great, yeah. So, Jane, sadly, that's true. How did you become a writer, Anika? Well, I've always been creative and I've always been creative with words. And I was away on a, you know, long weekend with my husband. He was doing a course and it was uh, in a really beautiful place called Byron Bay here in Australia. And I'd taken a book by Rebecca Campbell called Rise, Sister, Rise. And I was reading this book and she had sort of two pages on the archetypes. And as I kind of was reading about these archetypes, I just had this information dropping into into me. Um, I was like, oh, I think I should write this. So I just sat down and wrote. And within a year, I actually had a book published, which is really quite amazing. And the other thing is... Um, you know how I've uh, got these interviews with these various women in the book. That happened because I was um, I was practicing. I was um, seeing a lady, and she's her name's Julie. She's in the book. Um, she's an incredible woman, and um, I I told her. I think she might have been the third person I told I was writing a book because you know. Many people are writing a book, but it never comes to fruition, right? So I just wanted to keep it to myself until I had something solid. But she got all excited and she said, oh, you know, if you want to interview people for the book, I'll, 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 
be interviewed for it. So that's how that second part of the book came about. Yeah. And that makes me think about what is your idea of a wonderful, amazing woman? A woman who is is in her power. Like it's usually women who have been through difficult or traumatic circumstances who have come out on the other side, kind of knowing who they are, knowing their worth, knowing that they are beautiful, knowing that they have something to contribute, knowing that they love, that they can give is just such a gift. And that they speak up and actually stand in that and and how they shine their lights Um, instead of kind of shrinking back or trying to fit in or trying to do what they perceive women are supposed to be doing. I love everything that you said about women being wonderful because they are authentic and they are not afraid. There's a lot of courage happening in all levels from what I see. Absolutely. I guess I'll ask you the question about the divine feminine and the divine masculine. Talk to me about these two aspects. Another big question, Valeria. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. Hmm. Um, So they're kind of complementary forces and each human being has both of them. I remember the first time I saw the yin-yang sign and I was told that the the black one was supposed to be the feminine principle and the white one was the masculine principle. And I actually got quite offended because I thought, well, you know, women should have to be, you know, dark considering like kind of connecting darkness with bad and evil and things like that. But they're kind of the, the, the opposite principles in the way of like the, the divine feminine is kind of about resting and it's about nurturing and it's about incubating and it's about creating and it's about patience and it's about nurture and it's about beingness. Yes, that's the best word for it, beingness, peace, stillness. And then you've got the masculine active, which is more active and it goes out into the world and it makes changes in the world and it's um, it's got its own creative force and it's got its own nurture and it's got all those things. But it's almost like the the mas- divine masculine has to come from, so if you call the masculine the doingness, the, the doingness has to come from the beingness, yeah? So it's like if you get doingness for its own sake, it can become quite destructive. Uh, don't have to look far to kind of notice that. And it can become kind of doing this for its own sake, which is also not healthy. And in our society, we have a lot of doing this to the point to where if you actually do go and rest, uh, it's kind of frowned upon because you're not being, you're not being productive at that time, Um, which is just, well, totally bizarre because that's how you're going to stay in balance and that's how you're going to stay healthy. But also when you're not being overtly active and creating out there in the world, that's where the creativity comes in. That's where the uh, new ideas come from. That's where new concepts come from. That's where your new seeds are planted, you know? So um, I hope that answers your question. <laughs> we are criticized by our own selves in a lot of ways, so many times. And that's because now we don't have those energies balanced within ourselves. But that made me think about, do you think it's possible to be active, but at the same time still hold these two energies at the same time? Yes. Yes. Mm. Yes. It's almost, yeah. it's almost like you're, you're kind of, in, well, 
uh, in the pivot in there, in the center of that yin-yang circle where you can sort of dip into one and dip into the other. So they're always there. It's just which one I expressing at the time. So even when you're being, you know, resting, say, you know, there's a potential there for being active and vice versa. If you're being active, then there's a potential there for being resting. So I think you can hold them. You might not be able to express them at the same time, but you can certainly hold them at the same time. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Talk to me about um, what has been your experience in balancing these energies within yourself? Uh, listening to our body. Our body will tell us when it needs a rest. Our body will tell us when it needs to move. Our body will tell us when it needs to eat and what it wants to eat. Um, it'll tell us, you know, even, yeah, what, what we need to eat. Uh, our body is this incredible, amazing time-space suit that's uniquely equipped for this particular journey through human life, right? Um, and it will tell us exactly what it is we need. So if we can actually listen and follow those directives, you know, balance is not going to be that tricky. And, you know, again, we live in a society where there are certain things like, uh, you know, work schedules and things like that. So sometimes it can be tricky to kind of do it from moment to moment, but it can become a practice and it can become something that we do over a, over a week, say, you know, where we sort of have distinctive pockets of, okay, my body needs to rest. So right now I'm going to rest or my body wants to move. So I'll take it into nature. I'll go and do whatever exercise makes my body feel good. Yeah. If our bodies feel good, chances are we're reasonably on track with it. <laughs> that's so true. And that's interesting because it sounds like common sense, but most of us don't do it. <laughs> So another subject in your book that's very interesting to me is choice. So having choices, why do so many of us don't know that? They don't have access to these possibilities and choices and options. Why do you think that this happens? So I'm hearing two separate questions in your questions. So the choice that I talk about in, a, in my book is about the choice that we can make as individuals as to how we react to what's going on around us. So in order to be able to be in that particular space, we need to know that we aren't what's what's going on for us, yeah? So if something happens and, you know, there's a emotion that comes up like upset or angry or something, if we can watch ourselves going, oh, okay, right now I'm upset or I'm angry. So what that means is that, you know, my boundaries have been walked all over, for example, yeah? And then we can go, okay, um, how do I react to this in the way that's most useful? You know, do I kind of put down a really forceful boundary or is it enough to say, do you know what, that wasn't cool or actually what you said makes me feel hurt, whatever it is. So we can kind of get, get the response from the other person that is, you know, the most conducive to whatever relationship you want to have with them. And sometimes you just got to give people the boot and say, that's it, out of my life. Yeah, that's totally cool too right. if, the, if, the, if the energies aren't compatible. Um, so that's the choice. That's the choice of being self-empowered, being self-aware. Um, so we talked about minds before. So subconscious mind is a really fast mind and it just triggers, reacts, triggers, reacts, triggers, reacts. So there's no... A conscious choice. There's no creativity. There's no lateral thinking in that. So if the subconscious mind takes over in that moment, which it's designed to do, it's designed to keep us alive. Yeah, that's all it's trying to do. Then 
we can end into this really reactive state where something happens and we just blast them and afterwards we feel sorry that we, you know, offloaded all the anger on that person, for example. But if we can just take a breath just for a second and go, oh, I'm feeling really angry right now. Okay, so has this person actually warranted all this anger or is this anger that's been like stored up from the past or many decades I've been on planet Earth? Uh, and how much of this anger do I need to kind of express at the moment to get that outcome in this relationship? And that that personal empowered choice will then also lead to uh, more choice in the outside world because when we're in a position of knowing that we have choice, knowing that we're not what's happening to us, we will actually see far more opportunity than than we do when we're in that triggered state. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I love the choice that you speak of, which is choosing to respond and not to react, right? That has a lot to do with inner work. That goes back to my original question. How do we even begin to understand our automatic reactions to things and how the mind works? Do you recommend methods like meditation or... Yeah, journaling is another one, I guess. Yeah, basically any or all of those things will will work. Meditation's good, breathing's good. I think it, the, the the answer to that question is really simple, or else we would have found it by now, right? <laughs> yeah. I think at some point, actually knowing that you aren't that voice. I've just read this book called um, The Surrender Experiment, where the author talks about this voice. Actually got a whole book on that. Yeah. So kind of just knowing that that little voice in our minds isn't actually us and isn't actually true. Like most of what it says is just kind of commentary and it's got, it's not useful information for the most part. Um, my personal, um, my personal favorite technique that I also practice is called lifeline technique. And it's basically about finding those subconscious programs and substituting them with helpful ones. Um, and for me, that's the, I've been practicing that for 10 years with myself and my clients. And for the last 10 years, um, that has been the single most sustainable technique that I have found to kind of create change that really lasts once the, once the, uh, once the session finishes. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's just, that's just my personal favorite. That doesn't mean um, that everything else doesn't work by any stretch of the imagination. And I would also meditate and also, you know, go and dance. I'm li- really lucky to live near a beach and I go down to the beach and really connect with, you know, the ocean and, and the rocks and the sand and kind of feel the sunrise or, or feel just the earth there. So any of those things, you know, you could probably even sit in your lounge room and imagine that you're, you know, looking at a plant or looking at a tree or, or looking at the ocean, that would work too. Oh, I love that. Yeah, nature. Right? Anything. Yeah. Yeah. Patriarchy. How does it affect and hurt men? And also, how is it a gift to women? Yeah, right. You are, you're in the um, generally white male, top of the pinnacle kind of situation. This is just what I've observed. Um, So when everything gets served to you on uh, a platter and you get given everything you want, there's kind of never really the um, sense of achievement that you get when you've actually uh, put in effort for something 
and achieved your goal. Yeah. So one of the inherent things about trying to do that is failure, right? So, you know, you kind of want to do whatever. You have a degree and, you know, you can't get in because you dropped out of school, but, you know, maybe you can find a different way of getting into that that degree. Well, that's not a good example. Whatever it is, play music. Let's go with play music. You know, you start from scratch and uh, you've got no idea how you're going to play this instrument and you kind of practice a little bit and then you practice a little bit more and then you practice a little bit more and given enough practice, you will be quite good at it. Um, so that's kind of the process that happens. So that also means there's a lot of times where you play that song where you don't you don't get your fingers right or, you know, where you can't remember your, your notes or whatever. But it's just a matter of practice and you see the progress and you get better. So women in general have to do a lot more of that because there is this patriarchal, oh, well, women aren't as good at things as men are. I mean, thankfully, there's a lot less of that than there used to be. But, you know, if you kind of just get given being able to play an instrument, again, it's a bad example. But anyway, if you kind of wake up one day and you play an instrument perfectly without having gone through that kind of rehearsal process, you don't then have that ability to fail and keep going for a different area of your life. So you might think you're a whole lot better at things than you actually are. It's just because other people have been hurrying to kind of help you out. So generally when things go wrong in a, a man's life, he actually doesn't have the resilience, the resources, the support network to actually get through that with any degree of ease and grace. Yeah, like there's a reason why men commit suicide more often than women, you know, and why men do often worse after divorce than women, you know, like because they don't have that really deep connection that comes from, that women have, that comes from actually having to have each other's backs all the time and actually relying on your friends to support you really well and somewhere that you can go to when you're not feeling amazing and somebody that has seen you at your best and seen you at your worst and, and loves you fiercely and kind of knowing that, you know, you have failed at, the, at, at something before, but you actually managed to find a different way of doing it and became creative about it. So there's a whole network of resilience that women tend to have that men don't tend to have. It makes so much sense, yeah. Yeah, it, and the other thing is kind of, well, we're all aware of this sense of entitlement that I'm not talking about all men have. And, you know, again, it's the masculine we talk about. This sort of sense of entitlement, it kind of then also makes you kind of on a pedestal. So if you are then feeling like, well, I am this amazing person because of, you know, I was born a male, a white male in this society. And you then watch a woman, probably a woman that you love, being so much more amazing at what you think you're amazing at. How does that then make you make you relate to that? You know, like it then must make you think either, oh, well, clearly that isn't true, which is probably not what happens most of the time, although it probably happens some of the time. Or, you know, how do I then keep this woman from discovering that she's so much more amazing than me? Yeah. So that's kind of where that suppression comes in. Because if that woman realizes that she's so much better at me, what I'm actually offering her, what can I actually do to make her stay with me because I love her? Yeah. So that's a really gnarly uh, kind of dynamic there. 
Yeah. So the thing for men to step into that divine masculine consciousness is to go, well, what can I offer this woman that will make her want me in her life rather than I'm entitled to have that woman in my life? And that's where the divine masculine can actually step in and become this incredibly beautiful force that's there, which is when we actually put our, our energies into serving others and serving the planet. Yeah. Wow. We're definitely in need of that the masculine energy or the balance uh, within men as well, right? So I love what you wrote in your book. You said women now need to reclaim their female qualities. So do men. These are the qualities of allowing, flowing, receiving instead of taking, supporting community, understanding that we are all one, How we treat each other is how we treat our home, planet Earth. And she desperately needs us to become in tune with our female power so we can heal. That is a wonderful passage in many ways, says it all. (laughs) Thank you so much, Anika, for your wisdom. I have a few more questions for you coming to my final questions, but so many more that relates to your book. I won't be able to go through all of them, but the archetypes, this is something in your book that's well explored. So I'll ask you the question, how are the archetypes valuable to us or the reference? How can we become more empowered by relating to them? or even knowing that they are there for us. Yeah, so again, archetypes are basically an an energy. It's kind of an example of how one way of being in the world. Yeah, so the seven archetypes I've got, some of them we're really familiar with, like the mother. Some of them maybe not so much, like the mystic or um, the seer. So it's basically a set of abilities and gifts and skills that go together so that we can experience the world in, in that particular way. Um, so what, basically what, why knowing about the archetypes helps is because we then know that there are many different ways that we can actually experience the world. So there are many different ways that we can approach any one situation. And if we know, if we know, if you're familiar with the different archetypes, we can kind of step into the one that's the most useful at the time. So, for example, if we are in that situation we talked about before where we get triggered into anger with somebody, you know, we can step into our warrior and go, how does the warrior hold her boundary, yeah, which is probably in that situation the most useful archetype to step into, yeah, and at the same time we can hold a little bit of the healer and go, okay, well, this person is hurt too, so what's what's the best way for me to respond so that this person kind of can step out of that hurt space that they're in as well, yeah? Um, and, you know, that's that may or may not be, you know, relevant at that particular time. Sometimes it is, like I said before, just a case of put down your boundary and that person's not allowed in anymore. Um, so, and, you know, like the storyteller, the storyteller speaks our experience of the world, like, you know, history is full of men, right? Yeah, <laughs> we're all right. the women, yeah? yeah so what, where is the storytelling from women and for women and by women? That's because basically women do experience the world differently from men. We are differently in the world from the way men are. And we're half the population, if not more. 
So our stories are just as important. Our point of view is just as important. Our point of view is essential so that we can actually heal ourselves and heal the world. So we need to we need to integrate that view. We need to speak our stories, and those stories need to, need to be heard. And then a change in behavior has to happen as a result. So the archetypes basically inform us as to all the different ways that we can be in the world. And like the list of archetypes I have isn't exhaustive, but it's, I think, a really good representation of the different types of archetypes that are actually available. And if you've got those seven integrated really well, you know, you will probably do quite well navigating the world. When I first wrote the book, I thought, oh, well, most of us probably have one or two archetypes that are kind of our strongest um, archetypes. But then as I went through the process of writing the book and kind of living the material more, I realized that it's really useful to actually be able to access all of the archetypes so that in different situations, I can call on a different set of skills and, and talents and viewpoints and way of being in the world. Yeah, this is a beautiful work. I love your work, though. And I also love the kindness poem. That's a beautiful poem. I just highlighted a section here. Then it is only kindness that makes sense anymore. Only kindness that ties your shoes. <laughs> How do we learn to support each other more? Have you found a way? Oh, tricky question. I think it's about, so two ways. One is either find women who are already doing that so in the in the media, you know, women are often portrayed as backstabbing bitches and all that sort of thing. And in my experience, most women aren't actually like that. You know, most women are actually caring, compassionate, loving, nurturing people. And, you know, like that is not the go-to for most women. So if you are in a group of women where that sort of stuff goes on, just you kind of go, do you know what, that's not helping me or supporting me in any way. I will, you know, call in some other women who are different. That can be tricky though if you if you're in that situation and you don't know this. So the only other way I can think of is to actually um step beyond it and see that that woman is also hurting, is also um you know one thing I've I've kind of realized along the way is that bullies are, are really afraid and hurt people as well. So actually relate to the person, to the part of them that's hurt and vulnerable and frightened. I suspect that would take a lot of intestine, you know, guts basically, because that would, you know, you can potentially leave yourself vulnerable to just more abuse. But in that case, you really need to get out of there, I think. Um, so, yeah, so either be the change or find other women who are already in that space. Yes. Would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book, Annika? Okay, I'll read this bit. So, so this book is for you if you are ready to start owning your power and be a force for positive change in the world and would maybe just like somebody else's experience and perspective on how you might proceed. Read the words and listen to your heart. If they ring true, own them. If they don't, ask your heart what it feels is true and follow its promptings. And talk to other women, women, especially the ones that inspire you about their perceptions. You don't need to reinvent the wheel. And in fact, we probably don't have time for that. 
one of the things that women are good at is to talk and hold space for and support each other. So let's make it happen. Mm, wonderful. Yes, let's make it happen. It is already happening from what I see. So, Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yes. What is your idea of success these days? What is to be successful? To me, success is about inner peace and being congruent within yourself and knowing who you are on some level and having relationships that are in alignment with that. And that's relationships with people, but also, you know, pets and, and, and plants and planet. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Two more questions. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything differently? Probably not. I would probably have to go and visit a whole lot of people and say my farewells, ideally, because I've got people literally all, all over the planet. But as far as what I would do otherwise, not really. I love what I do. What are three things about life you know for sure as of now? Ah, I know that life is mysterious. I know that life is miraculous. And I know that life is beautiful. Yes, yes, and yes, I agree. Thank you so much for your presence in our beautiful conversation. I love how genuine you are. Oh, thank you, Valeria. It's been a pleasure. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? So the place I'm most active is my Facebook page. It's called Passion to Thrive. And on it, I also put up events that I hold that can be joined remotely via Zoom. Um, I have a website called anakayende.com.au and through it, you can get links to buying the book as well. The book is available on Amazon, but it's also available in hard copy. And I've got a YouTube channel called Anika at Passion to Thrive where I have where I've posted meditations and um, some of the some of my blogs are on there as well in, in spoken spoken version. Wonderful. Thank you so much again and we'll talk soon. Thank you. Thank you, Valerie. Bye for now. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Annika Jend and her work, please visit annikajend.com.au. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Bigrock. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.